Well, good morning once again. Let's see if we can, uh, that was such a sweet time of prayer together. Um, thank you for, for being part of that and for participating. I, I do believe prayer is powerful and effective. And so let's be in prayer during this whole time as a nation. All right, let's uh, head on to what we're going to talk about here today. And uh, just to get us there, let me ask you, have any of you ever been hangry? Are any of you hangry right now? That'll tell me how long I can preach. Let's see. All right, we got one. I better preach fast. couple of you. Okay. Uh, you can go get a snack if you want. Just talk to the people back there. They'll hook you up with some pretzels or something. We have kids' snacks for you. Um, now, hangry. We've all been hangry, right? That, 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 that little mixture point between hungry when hungry turns into angry. Yeah, I've been there. And I'm not always the nicest person when I'm hangry. Anybody else? Um, and when I'm hangry on Wednesday, you reminding me to be thankful for the feast we had on Sunday doesn't do much for me. Because when I'm hangry, I'm not very thankful or very grateful. I'm just kind of hangry. Now, right? I want to eat now. That's, that's the point. Um, when I'm hangry, if I open up the fridge and there's nothing in there and you say, don't worry, there's a grocery store down the road that has plenty of food, um, that doesn't necessarily help me in that situation. You know what I'm saying? Um, that doesn't necessarily help me. And when I'm hangry, I just, I'm not very thankful. I'm not very rational. Have you ever noticed that? You don't always think real rationally. Um, and the fact that we had a great feast yesterday um, doesn't really matter, right? I'm just pretty much focused on the here and the now. Am I alone or is anybody else like that? We've got some others that are like that. All right. Now, this leads us right to where uh, we're headed in Exodus. And to catch you up, if you have your Bibles, you can start turning over to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to pick right up where we left off last week. But to catch you up and remind you, three days after one of the most dramatic miracles in history, the parting of the Red Sea, where God parts this large body of water and the people walk through, and then um, he delivers them in this incredibly miraculous way. Three days after that, they came to this place called Marah, where the water was bitter, and is there a weird delay or is it in the house? I just keep hearing it and it's freaking me out because I hear myself after I hear myself. So, um, okay, I'll just try to ignore myself and you can do the same. Listen to me the first time, ignore the second time it comes around. Okay, uh, we'll figure it out. We've got new tack back there and it's been a challenge getting all that figured out. Okay, so anyway, so... Three days after the people of God come, uh, three days after the people of God come out of the promised land and are, are delivered through the Red Sea, uh, they begin, they come to this place called Mara where they're looking forward to a cool drink of water. Instead, the water is just bitter. So they begin grumbling against Moses. They are, have just been, I mean, three days after God miraculously delivers them and they start to grumble and they start to complain like they're hangry. Anybody identify with that? Okay, so Exodus chapter 15 verse 25 says this. 
Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. So God delivers them. They're in this place where they're, they're angry, uh, they, they're bitter, they're complaining, and God moves in mercy, and he turns, he delivers them again. He just delivered them from the Red Sea, and now he delivers them from uh, the, uh, he gives them clean, fresh water to drink. And it's this amazing uh, thing that they get to experience. And what we taught, said last week is when you find yourself in a season, a desert season, valley season, we use these things a lot synonymously uh, when we talk about our spiritual walk or really life in general. It's those times that you come to and it's just hard and it's difficult and you don't know the way forward and you can't see. And what I said is when you find yourself in there, it's always helpful to remember what God has done for you in the past and the dramatic ways or, or just the faithful ways he's moved for you in the past in your life because those are the things you hang on to. And a better way to approach a situation when you find yourself with your back up against the wall or you find yourself in a tough situation is to come to the place where you just say, okay, Lord, I wonder what God is going to move this time. I wonder how he's going to move this time. That's, that's a place of faith to move forward from. I, I know I've seen God move in the past, and I know I don't know how this circumstance is going to work out, but I wonder, I trust that he's good. I trust that he's faithful. That's what we looked at last week. Okay, moving on in verse 26, it says this. He, he said, there, it says, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test at Marah. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So I just want to say something about this real quick, because this is cool. Kind of take a, a bunny trail. I have this real little book. It's, I think it was written in the 50s by this MD that studies all of the first five books of the Bible and the instructions. Uh, the first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah or literally the instructions that God is giving to this, this people that's a, a group of slaves that have come out of slavery. They have no context for a society and he gives them basically the family rules or the instructions for how this nation is going to run. And in there, there's a bunch of health and sanitation codes. Things like, um, he tells the people that I want you to, uh, when you have to use the restroom, you're going to go outside the camp, you're going to dig a hole, you're going to, you know, do what you need to do, and then you're going to bury it. Now, thousands of years later, we discovered why God said that, right? And still to this day, all around the world, there's um, issues, uh, waterborne issues are one of the primary means, you know, things that are killing people all around the world, even today. It's a, it's a big deal in many nations around the world. In fact, um, I was down in the Amazon in, the, in Peru, and I was teaching. We were kind of doing some missionary work, and I was teaching on health and sanitation as well as sort of preaching to these people. And I was talking about how God cares about these things in our life enough to address them. So I told that exact example from Leviticus, except I was trying to be kind of polite because I was in church. And so I said, and God said, as I'm, you know, speaking through a translator, I said, and God said, you know, if you need to do your business, go outside the camp, dig a hole, do your business, bury it. That's what God said for their health. And the people just like looked at me like, what in the world are you talking about? It's just, 
Because the translator literally translated it. And this is, you've heard the phrase lost in translation? Yeah, the, fran- the, the translator literally translated it. Go dig a hole, do a business transaction, <laughs> bury it. No wonder they were looking at me like I was an idiot, right? Um, so anyway, so that's one of the things. Uh, there's other things like the custom, uh, the, the custom, the covenant of circumcision, which the Lord, uh, you know, decreed for his people. Well, thousands of years later, what they've discovered as they look at history is that the cultures that have followed that practice, especially as you consider cultures that, you know, live or wander around the desert with no showers for years and years, right? Um, the cultures that have um, followed that practice have a very, very low rate of a certain type of cancer. Kind of cool. Who would have thought? God knew thousands of years ago. And of course, you know, there's different dietary laws and different things that uh, weren't just custom, uh, customs, but had things to do with uh, health um, or the infectious diseases one, right? Where if somebody had an infectious disease or a skin condition, they were to go outside and you were to quarantine uh, the sick people, which I just want to highlight. Um, <laughs> sorry, shouldn't go there. But they were to... to to quarantine the sick people outside of camp, right? And so, I mean, this is amazing. So God says, if you follow me carefully, I'm going to put none of the diseases of the Egyptians on you. Which means really two different main things. The one is, there's going to be a sense of supernatural protection over the people of Israel. But then God is also going to work in the natural realm, just like those things I told you, because God understands how he created the world to work. And when you line, align your life with the way that the world works, life goes better for you. And so there's this beautiful thing. And here's what this means. Um, as, you see, as we've seen in this book, sometimes God radically bends the laws of nature because God is outside of nature. And so God has the ability and the power to do that. Sometimes God works within the structure and the framework of the laws of nature that he has created. It's still a miracle because he holds it all together. In him, we live, we move, we have our being. It's still miraculous. Here's what this means in just super simple um, application. We can pray for people to be healed. Pray first, we do that, and take your meds. The two aren't in opposition to each other, right? Pray, go to the doctor. Because God uses both of those things. And that's the way that he set the creation up to work. Okay, that was a little bunny trail. Let's move on and get to the rest of this. Verse 27. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which doesn't mean what Sin means in the English language, it's just a name. Um, The desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. And here's the important thing that you need to realize about this. It is only a little over a month since the Israelites saw one of the greatest miracles, perhaps the greatest miracle ever witnessed by human beings. At this point, one of the most dramatic miracles witnessed by human beings. Only thir- a little over 30 days, okay? And just before this, just, just shortly before this, God had turned this bitter water sweet. So they had seen God come through. 
So he, he, their backs up against the wall. He delivers them in a dramatic, profound, incredible way. Um, three days later, they're grumbling and complaining because they're getting thirsty. But hey, when you're in the desert and you don't have water, that's, you, you're thirsty. You need water, aren't you? If you if, we know that in Western Colorado. We don't go hiking unless we bring water, right? Plenty of water. And so that's what they discover there. But God, again, he comes through. He rescues them in a dramatic way. He, he comes through. He provides for them in a powerful and dramatic way. But it's only been like 30 days since that's happened. You'd think you might remember that, right? But here's where we find the people again in verse 2. And see if this describes your life in any way. When you have seen God work in the past, but now again you find yourself in a situation where you're just not happy with the season of life you're in. Verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Oh, remember the good old days. Egypt. Onions and meat. Boiled. If only um, we had died in Egypt. Uh, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now remember who had told them, Moses and Aaron, to lead the people out of slavery. God. And so by accusing Moses and Aaron, they're accusing God of bringing them through, delivering them just to bring them out and kill them. Verse four. Actually, I'm gonna just talk about that for a minute. How would you expect God to respond? I... I if, if I was in that position, I think I'd be a little upset. I get a little offended when my character feels impugned when people assume things about me that actually aren't in my heart. Anybody else? Kind of ticks you off, right? But here's the thing. They're, they're hangry. They're not thinking clearly. In fact, because they're hangry, um, they have irrational memories. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon says, don't, don't say, remember the good old days. Because your memory isn't so good, and chances are the good old days weren't really all that good. That I bet if you go back and you look at some of those seasons in your life that sometimes you're like, oh, that was so cool. The truth is there were areas of your life where you were in bondage. There were areas of your life where, where you, you wouldn't want to go back there. Jesus has brought, moved you on. He's freed you. He's released you. But yet they, they want to go back. Why? Because they've lost their security. They've lost their comfort. Ah, I'm only hearing myself once. It's awesome. Um, they've lost their security. They've lost their comfort. And here's what happens when our hearts, when we lose our security, when we lose our comfort, is our first tendency, we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, is to want to go back there. Have you noticed that we always think the grass is greener on the other side? And then there's something in all of our hearts that wants to go back to the good old days. 
But God wants to take us to somewhere new. God has something new he wants to teach us in a situation. And this is just a little uh, bit of a bunny trail. But the people, they remember, they have these, this, this memory of Egypt. And oh, remember when we were fed. Yeah, but you were only fed so that you could get up and work yourself to the bones. Like, that you would just work yourself to death for the, for the uh, in oppression and slavery for the Pharaoh. And God wants to provide for them in a whole new way, out of tenderness and care for them. Not out of this obligation. And see, here's the thing. Uh, they they want to go back to security. They want to go back to comfort. And this is, the, this is uh, where the human heart always wants to go back to. In fact, over the course of history, as you look at societies, um, without fail, uh, societies almost always trade liberty and freedom for security and comfort. It's just a pattern you see over and over. We prefer comfort, we prefer security to freedom so many times. And following God isn't always safe. I mean, it's, it's the center of his will, but it isn't always comfortable, Right? I mean, there's no guarantees that, that following God, I, I think Jesus said a few things about what following him might lead to in our lives. You know, like you might have trouble, or you will, actually, he promised that, right? You will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There's freedom in following him. All right, so they are in the desert. They are in the valley season. And they have a very short memory of what God has just done for them. It's only been a little over 30 days. And, and you know, dramatic miracles, just because you've seen God move in your life, it doesn't always lead to lasting faith. It's still easy. If, you're not, if your heart isn't tuned into God, it's still easy to drift away. It doesn't always lead to lasting faith. In fact, John the Baptist, um, this really interesting thing happens. He had announced Jesus as the Messiah. And then he gets thrown in prison. And in prison, he can't see beyond his four walls that he's in. Some of you feel like you're in a season like that right now. And he begins to doubt. He's the one. I mean, he'd heard all the miraculous accounts of the miracles. He saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove on Jesus. And the voice, heard the voice from heaven, this is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Talk about experiencing something dramatic, right? And yet when he finds himself in a place of pain, when he finds himself in his desert season or his valley season, he doesn't remember that. In fact, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one we thought you were? Because I'm having doubts. And Jesus replies to him, hey, all this stuff is happening that declares the Messiah and blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. That in this situation, Jesus said, I'm not going to bail you out, but blessed are you if you don't stumble on account of me. That if you go on trusting me. Verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven. So God, here's how he responds to them. With tenderness and compassion, in the midst of their complaint, grace meets us and mercy meets us. We don't deserve it, right? But that's where Jesus meets us. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. 
In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, you are to prepare what they bring in, and it is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now, God is getting ready to provide for them in a dramatically different way than they've ever thought about provision. See, they come from an agrarian society. And many of you, some of you have done a little gardening, farming, right? But pretty much we go to the grocery store, um, except for the last two months, right? And buy what we want to buy. It's a, it's, a, it's a fundamental right. I think it's in the declaration or something that there should be toilet paper in the grocery store, right? We go to the, we, yeah, the grocery store is our storehouse. But from an agrarian society, they think of life as you work really hard, you plant the seeds, you hope it rains enough, you pray that it rains, right? And then if you get a harvest, you store it away and you hope that there's enough food in your storehouses to last you until the next harvest. And that's the way it works. And God wants to teach him something dramatically different about his care and his provision, in life, And he wants to do that. In order to do that, he actually brings them through the desert, through the valley. And if you're in one of these seasons, we call them the same thing, desert seasons, valley seasons, dry seasons, hard seasons. The thing to remember here, and this is so powerful because many times we get in these seasons and we think, man, I must have done something wrong. And some of you, yes, there's seasons where you've gone through life and you know exactly how you got there. And you could go, yep, A to B to C, I'm here and it's my fault. Or I'm here and it's this, you know, this other person, I didn't really have a choice in the matter. For others, you're like, I don't, I don't know, I thought I did everything that God was calling. I thought we were walking with him and now I'm in this season. And God actually brought them into the season to show them something about his care and his provision and to do something in their heart. And this is good news for you and for me because what it means, we did a whole message on this about a year, just a little less than a year ago, that if you're in a valley season or a desert season in your life, it doesn't always mean you took a wrong turn. If you find yourself in a desert, it doesn't mean you took a wrong turn always, Right? The valley is often just part of the process that God uses in your life to provide for you. But here's the key is that the amount of peace you are able to experience in that season is directly related to your ability to remember what God has done and to trust him for the future. To trust that his heart is good. And, and, and here's what we see, and this is our tendency, is when, we, when we've seen God move in the past, but now we're in a season and we're hangry or we're, we're upset or um, you know, our finances aren't coming together or so there's a hiccup in our health or there's a relational thing we just can't solve, is to go, God, you've abandoned me. You've abandoned me. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said said this about God. And this is such a key to experiencing peace in these seasons and, and, and actually learning what God wants to teach you. Charles Spurgeon said, when we can't see his hands, we can trust his heart. Did you catch that? When we can't see his hands, we don't know how he's going to work it out. We can trust his heart. That his heart towards his children is love and grace and mercy. Verse six, and I'm gonna read a big section here. And this is how God provides for him. 
So God says, I'm going to provide for them in this extremely unique way, a way they've never seen and experienced. I want to teach them to trust me day by day. Verse 6 through 18 says this. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are, who are we that you should grumble against us? You're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against God, right? Verse 8, Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Verse 9, Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Imagine that. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. I am the personal God who personally cares for you. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Later they name it manna, which literally means, what is it? They didn't realize it was actually frosted flakes. <laughs> but then they tasted it and they're like, oh yeah, uh, okay. Because frosted flakes are yummy, right? Especially if you're a low carb. I've been like sort of halfway trying to do low carb for a long time. And nothing tastes better than carbs when you're trying to be low carb. Why? Am I right? Am I right? All right. So anyway. Uh, manna, what is it? They did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Frosted flakes. Uh, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. That was an omer was a portion that was enough for one person, approximately. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it, um, and, and when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Isn't that cool? So God, they, they, morning comes and boom, there's these flakes. And you know, the night before they feasted on quail, um, which I think, I, do you, anybody eat quail? I don't know. You don't have to admit to it. Okay. I've, there's a bunch of them running around my backyard if you want to come over. So. They look pretty hard. I, they're so little. Um, anyway, it was yummy. It was protein. They needed protein, right? So God provides quail for them. And then in the morning, there's this weird, what is it, manna stuff all over the ground. And they're able to go out and collect it and then bake it and boil it and turn it into a bread kind of substance that they eat, and it tastes, it, it, it's, it's good, it's good. And, and those who gathered, I mean, here's the miraculous side of this, other than the fact that they wake up, and they're like, what is this all over the ground? Right? Other, other than that, it's, it's the fact that those who gathered a lot, they didn't have too much, 
It was individual. God was showing them, I care for you individually. I care for you. And here's what I've seen over and over again about the way God cares for us and the way when God leads you into a new season or when God leads you into a new venture, um, this is one of the things that I think so many times causes us stress and frustration in life is because uh, this is just the ways of God. Many times, here's how he provides. God often provides just enough and just in the nick of time. Anybody, you, you experienced that? You're like, I don't know how we're going to get through this season and your stress and anxiety levels coming up and then God th- comes through just with just enough, just what you need and just in the nick of time. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. And, and here's the key in this. And this is, this is what God is trying to teach him in here is I know the way you've done this in the past is you've gone out and you've worked really hard and you've stored up grain um, and all this and that's sort of the way it's done. But I'm gonna care for you individually and I'm gonna bring you through a season where you have to learn to trust me daily for your needs. And I've watched this in people's lives. Uh, this is very common for people that go into missions, that there's this period of time where literally like the smallest little needs, God begins to provide for them just enough and just in the nick of time. And then years down the road, there's larger faith steps that he calls them to. So there's, I have a friend that was in missions that literally they were praying, Lord, I need a tube of toothpaste. I know that sounds silly. And somebody gives them a tube of toothpaste. Just enough, just in the nick of time, right? But here's the thing, as God progresses you along in the journey of faith, he takes you through a season like that oftentimes to teach you that you can rely on him and depend on him daily for your needs. And then typically he moves you into a new season. And they won't always be in this season. Um, In fact, he tells you, I'm gonna take you into the promised land, people. And you're gonna get to live in houses you didn't build. You're gonna get to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. You're gonna be blessed. This is, you know, the dream that you've been, the promised land. I'm gonna take you there. But here's the key. When you get there, you're gonna have more than you need. Your crops are going to be blessed and you're going to, you know, have more than you need. And when you get there, the, the point of this season is to remember that just then, just like now on the day-by-day thing, that later it's still me who's providing for you. Yes, you're going to work. You're going to bust it. You're going to save because those are all parts of the laws of how God created the world to work, right? We talk about that. God will set that up and show them, hey, when you get in the land, I want you to give first. I want you to save. I want you to be generous to the poor. All that kind of stuff, right? Those are things we talk about, teach. Those are wise principles. But he's going to take them through this season to show them that he's intimately caring for them. And then he says, hey, future, when you live in this other season where you're working hard and there's extra money in the bank and things are good, guess what? Remember that it's me who gave you this too. Don't, don't, don't shift in your mind to think that you did this all on your own. And that, and honestly, for most of us, where we live most of the time is in the second season. And you know, it's always more of a challenge to stay faithful in success than it is when you're in crisis. It's always more of a challenge to live faithfully in the middle of comfort than it is in the desert and when you're uncomfortable. But it's so vital that we learn to trust that just as he's provided for us and will provide for us in the desert, in the valley, when he brings us into a new season of abundance, it's still him providing. And we need to honor him and be faithful. 
Be faithful. All right, so this is the season. That's the season where God will be taking them. But this is where they are right now. And this season was for teaching them to trust them daily. Verse 19, I'm going to read a section again. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. They've gathered up all of this frosted flakes, yumminess, into the baskets. And Moses says, now don't keep any of it till morning. Like only get what you need for today and then throw the rest out, get rid of it. Don't keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Ew. That's nasty. If you've ever opened something up and there's maggots, that's nasty right there, right? So Moses was angry at them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. Now, this is so cool. God's going to say, now, now, you think this daily thing's cool. Watch this. Just so, so you don't forget, this is miraculous provision. Like, I want to drive this home that you're not like, oh, this is a weird desert. Every morning we get up and there's just, there's just food on the ground. What a cool desert. No, it's me providing for you. Check this out, what God says here. Um, let's see, what verse was I in? It's 23, there we go. 23, he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is the day, tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So watch this cool thing. You know all the other days, the maggots? Yeah, yeah, that's Day six, Friday, I want you to gather double, cook it all up, make your favorite banana bread. Yeah, it was bad. And then keep it. And tomorrow, guess what's going to happen? So they saved it until morning, verse 24, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, the Lord, or eat it today, Moses says, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's, it's for you. I gave this to you for you. In fact, Jesus will echo that. This was a gift from God. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. And we'll talk about this more when we get to the section down the road of the Ten Commandments. And we're probably going to take a, a reasonably long little break and then hit it back in the fall and finish up the book of Exodus. Um, just so you know where we're heading probably here after a while. But this is so cool because he says, I want you to rest. And to a society of people that all they know is backbreaking work for the, for the enrichment of someone else. He says, I'm going to, every seventh day, you get to rest. And remember how good God is because on the seventh day, he's going to provide twice as much. You won't have to get up. Because you you, he, he gave it to you on Friday. 
You can have it pre-baked, ready to go, and just chill out and rest and remember the goodness of God. It's a beautiful thing. But in order to do that, what happens? You have to trust me, right? You have to trust me. You have to trust me that it's not going to spoil. You have to trust me and follow my ways. And if you do that, you're going to experience rest in your life. You're going to experience peace. And you're going to experience the provision in a way you never knew was possible. Isn't that cool? Verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like white coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. See, frosted flakes. They just didn't know it yet. And verse 35, skip ahead. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. God provides for them this way for 40 years. It's miraculous. It's amazing. And see, here's what's at the heart of this lesson of of manna. Here's at the heart of what God was trying to teach them with manna and provision. And, And maybe here's at the heart of what God wants to teach you in the season that you're in. If you're in a desert season, if you're in one of these seasons where you're going, I don't know where the next day is coming from. I don't know where the next, you know, I don't know how this season's gonna work out. The heart of the lesson of manna is this question. Will I trust him for tomorrow? Will I trust him for tomorrow? You see, most of the stress and the anxiety and the lack of rest we experience in our life isn't because of what we're facing today. Because if you noticed, he's given you grace for today. It's for worry about tomorrow, isn't it? Which is why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, God gives you grace for today and tomorrow he will give you grace for tomorrow. But if you're worrying about tomorrow, he hasn't given you grace for tomorrow yet. And you're experiencing a level of anxiety and stress in your life. And I just have to guess because I look at my life. I mean, man, as I told you last week, as we went through all the iterations of buying and building and trying to, you know, negotiating leases and all that, just the stress every time one of those came around. It was all related to, what about tomorrow? What, what if, right? What if? What if? God's gonna give you grace for tomorrow. And if you can get a handle, if you can learn to trust him for tomorrow, man, today will be so much better. Today you will experience his peace. He'll experience his rest in your life. And I know you want to experience that. Now, here's, here's how I want to close today. There's, there's an even deeper lesson behind manna than just provision in this life. There's, there's a much deeper lesson. In fact, Moses, 40 years later, he's going to recount what God did and remind the people of how God provided for him. And here's what he says in Deuteronomy as he recaps this whole experience for the people years later. It says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna that neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And if that sounds familiar to you, it might be because Jesus quotes this 
as he's being tempted by Satan after he fasts for 40 days, literally bringing himself to the point of physical starvation. And Satan says, hey, you're hungry. I know you're hungry. Take matters into your own hands. Provide for your own needs. Turn those stones into bread. Why not? And Jesus looks at him and says, man shall not live on bread alone. There's a deeper issue than just what happens in the here and now and what happens in this life and what happens in the physical realm and what happens with all my stuff and all my possessions and all my security and all my comfort. There's a deeper thing that Jesus is about here than just physical provision. In fact, a short time later, he performs this incredible miracle. He feeds 5,000 and afterwards they come back and ask him for more because that's what we would do too, right? Because they got hangry again. And here's what Jesus says to them. John 6, 32. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. See, this is what manna all the way back then was pointing to. This is the signpost along the way and where manna was leading, what God was trying to teach them then and communicate and set the stage for 1,500 years later. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. That sounds great. And Jesus looks at him and says this in verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 40. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Whoever believes in or literally in the Greek trusts in, puts their full trust in him, in Jesus, will have real life. Life that lasts. Life that's true. And so as we close here, I want to invite you to stand. And for anybody watching online as well as uh, anybody in the room, if you've not given your life to Jesus, if, if you've not placed your trust in him, beyond whatever desert circumstance or season you find yourself in, um, in spite of any of that, the most important thing you could do is trust Jesus. Give your life to him. That is the most important decision you can make in this life. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that as we close in prayer. And you can pray a simple prayer like this after me if you feel God tugging on your heart. You can pray a simple prayer. The words aren't critical, but it's the heart that matters. It's that heart that expresses, Lord, I'm gonna trust you for my salvation. I'm gonna trust you. So bow your heads with me. And if that's you, either online or in the room, I just wanna invite you right now to, to pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I want to turn my life away from the direction I was going, and I want to turn my life to you. I want to experience your forgiveness. Will you forgive me, Lord? Will you forgive me? 
Will you welcome me into your family? I believe you are the son of God that you died and rose again for me. And I place my full faith and trust in that, in this moment. Thank you, Jesus, for life. And Lord, for all my other friends, I just want to um, just pray that you would give them in whatever season of life they find themselves in right now, the ability to walk through it knowing that they can trust you, not just for today, but they can trust you for tomorrow. And that you would give them the peace that surpasses all understanding in their lives. And let this amazing account of your provision, both in the Old Testament with physical manna and the provision of our means of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ, inspire our hearts to follow you more closely and to be more thankful and more grateful and to live our lives for you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.